Well, good morning. I want to welcome you this morning. So good to have you. And uh, any first-time guests or anybody watching online for the first time, just want to say hey. Uh, how many of you here loved uh, hearing from Jeff Arthurs, Dr. Jeff Arthurs, last week? Wasn't that amazing? Outstanding message. Pretty cool. Uh, we really enjoyed having him here. Uh, he talked about this concept of living on the hinge. So if you missed that or you didn't get a chance to hear it, please go to our website, check it out. It was an amazing message. He defined the hinge as this, this swing in our life between uh, joy and grief. And he talked about a, a funeral he went to on a college campus where there were students who were grieving and then there was another group of students and uh, somebody was getting engaged. And we just experienced such diverse emotions in life, whether it's joy or grief. And Jeff said, if we fix our minds on Jesus, if we remember who he is, then we can find strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Well, that sounded to me a lot like a series that we're doing here at Hope on the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. We've been studying the book of Philippians, and we'll pick it up again today. If you have your scripture, you can open up to Philippians chapter 2. But I was thinking about this idea of living on the hinge, and I was thinking if there ever was a man who lived on the hinge, it would be the Apostle Paul. You remember uh, the Apostle Paul writes the letter to the Philippians and he's writing as a prisoner in Rome. He's in chains for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. He's facing a trial and that could lead to his release. It could release, lead to his execution. He doesn't know. He could live or die. And yet, isn't it amazing when he writes this letter to the Philippians, page after page sparkles with joy. This letter is one of the most joy-filled books in the entire Bible. And we see Paul models for us a joy in spite of his circumstances. Now, you might be here today, and maybe you look at your life, and you think, oh, I don't have a reason to rejoice. Well, for us as Christians, Paul shows us an amazing truth. Our joy is in Jesus Christ. Our life is in Christ. We, we've been saved by trusting in the good news of Jesus uh, we, we, to, to die is gain even. So no matter what we're going through, there is a joy in knowing Christ. Uh, Philippians 4.4, 4, our theme verse, encourages us. And it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He can't help himself. He's got to say it again. Our joy is in the Lord. There is a joy in spite of our circumstances. In chapter 2, Paul moves from our circumstances to our relationships. Now, how many of you here today know that relationships, people, can rob us of our joy? You ever been frustrated with a spouse? I'm not going to answer that question. Amen. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe a parent, a child, difficult person at work begins to frustrate us, lead to anger, we're losing our joy. What's interesting, if you read Philippians and kind of look between the lines, you'll notice that even Paul hints of little relational issues in the church in Philippi. In chapter 2, he speaks of grumbling and complaining. And then in Philippians 4, he mentions a disagreement between two women in leadership. 
So yes, Paul argues, our joy is in Jesus Christ, right? Our joy is in the Lord. That's firm. That's secure. Nothing can take that away. Nothing can hinder the joy in the Lord. But Paul goes on to say, we'll see this today. He says, make my joy complete. How? By walking in love and unity with one another. He's talking about healthy relationships. How do we do that? I'll tell you a story. Steve mentioned some, uh, you know, new, newly married, newly engaged people here at Hope. Back when Angie and I were younger and engaged, we started going to some of our mentors and, and we began asking them, like, what advice do you have for us? Uh, we're, we're getting ready to be married. Uh, you know, what's helped you? How have you had a happy, successful marriage? And I'll never forget, I went to one uh, pastor at our church and uh, he was a godly man. He had a, an amazing relationship with his wife. He said, Bruce, what's the secret, man, in your marriage with your wife? What's the secret? And he goes, all right, so I'll tell you the secret. And I lean in. He says, this is what you're going to say to her. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought he was joking. Like, what? I'm not going to say that. Like, no, no, no. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. 22 years later, I could tell you, he's right. Huh? All the married men. Amen. Yeah, see? Preaching. I've also learned after 22 years, I don't want to say that. I want to say the opposite of that. I want to say, I'm right. You're wrong. You tell me you're sorry. Anyone? I, I much would rather do that. There's a tension here. How do we experience the joy of love and oneness in a relationship? It starts with humility. We go low. We humble ourselves. See, on the table today, we have an opportunity for better relationships. We have an opportunity to overcome difficulties in our relationships maybe even repair some broken relationships. The key to joy in our relationships is humility. We go low. In Philippians 2, Paul gives the same relationship advice as my mentor gave me so many years ago. And he points to the importance of humility, and he begins to answer the question, how do we experience love, joy, and harmony in our relationships? And the answer he provides, by the way, looks a whole lot like Jesus. The key to oneness in a relationship is not selfishness, but selflessness. Listen to this, would you, in Philippians 2, if you have your scripture, uh, read along, pick it up in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort in his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, and make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you 
to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the power of your word. It shatters the obstacles. It it, 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 it breaks the hardness of our heart. And it shows us how to love and walk in humility with others. So I pray, God, that you would help us to do that today. It's not easy. It's very challenging. So we ask that you break down our pride. Show us how to live like Jesus and how to love like Jesus loved us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the secret to the joy of loving others and walking in unity is humility. So the question is, how do we do that? And Paul begins answering that question. Number one, the key word here is you. We're going to have some key words. The first point key word is you. Humility begins with who you are in Christ. Humility begins with who you are in Christ. Humility is not natural. It is supernatural. And it flows from who we are in Jesus Christ. It doesn't flow from our natural selfish desires. No, it doesn't flow from us alone. It flows from who we are in Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.1. Notice how Paul introduces the idea of humility. He uses this phrase, if you. There's our key word. And he repeats the word if four times. Listen to verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Do you notice how Paul uses the word if? If. Why does he do that? Why does he say, if you have these things in Christ? Why would he do that? Not because there's any doubt or hesitation, but because he wants us to think about the certainty of these realities in our life. It's like Paul is saying, if there's water in the ocean, and there is. If there are Phillies fans in Philadelphia, I believe there are. And if you've experienced the life-changing power of Jesus Christ, and the answer is, yes, we have. What has Christ done in our life? Four things. Number one, the encouragement from being united with Christ. So how amazing is this? 
Right? We are united with Jesus Christ as followers of Jesus, as believers in Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that God loved us so much. He sent his son who died on the cross for our sins so that through faith in Jesus, not our own works, we are forgiven and united with Christ himself. We are alive in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Jesus Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's not just me. Oh, I got to be humble today. No, not at all. He says Christ lives in me. And this life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is encouragement today from being united with Jesus Christ. Not only that, he says, if there's any comfort in his love. The love of Jesus Christ, as we just read in Galatians 2.20, is a sacrificial love. Says he gave his life for me and for you. He laid it down. And I believe if we could just grasp the immensity of Christ's love for us this morning. God loved you. What joy and peace would fill our hearts this morning. There's comfort in his love. Next, Paul adds, if any common sharing in the spirit. Now, when Jesus left, when he ascended to the Father, he promised us that he would not leave us alone. He would not leave us as orphans, but that he would send his promised Holy Spirit. And he said the Holy Spirit will be with you and it will be in you. Peter says, the spirit of glory and of God dwells in you. That's pretty awesome. And together as a community of faith, the same Holy Spirit that dwells in me, dwells in you, dwells in your neighbor, there is a common sharing of the Holy Spirit in this room. That means, that's, that's helpful for unity, right? If, if I'm seeking the spirit, if you're speaking, seeking the spirit, the spirit's going to lead us to unity. We have a common heritage, common unity in the Holy Spirit. And then Paul wraps it up by, by saying who we are in Christ with, if any, tenderness and compassion. In other words, what a transformation Christ has done in our life. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, our heart is full as believers in Jesus with tenderness and compassion. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, that we love others. Why is that? Because Christ first loved us. So I've gone through each one of these truths one by one. Because if we're going to walk in humility, we need to know who we are in Jesus Christ. We're not approaching our humility from a place of weakness, but from a place of strength. So humility today begins with who you are in Jesus Christ. I've heard people say, oh, humility, that's just weakness. Anybody who said that has never tried to be humble. Because what is humility? I made a little list. I just wrote down a few ideas. Humility is expressing our needs, saying thank you, admitting when we're wrong, Telling someone, I'm sorry. Being vulnerable. Going low. Serving others. Sacrificial love. 
Let me ask you this morning, easy or hard? Hard. Humility is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of the greatest strength. Thomas Merton called humility the surest sign of strength. Now, Michael Scott in The Office famously said it, takes a big man to admit his mistakes, and I am that big man. Here's where I'm going with this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the strength. You got it in you to go low. If there's any encouragement in being united, Comfort in his love, empowered by the Spirit, transformed into the image of the Son. We're not approaching humility this morning from a place of poverty, but abundance. This is why Paul starts here. If we're going to be humble, we got to know who we are in Jesus Christ. The key word here is you. How else do we become humble? Key word for number two is others. Others. Humility focuses on the needs of others before considering our own. It's what it looks like to be humble. Humility focuses on the needs of others before we consider our own. It's not that, it's not that our needs don't matter. It's not that we don't think about our needs but we're going to consider the needs of others before we consider our own. Does that make sense? So Paul's just told us who we are, and now he gives the invitation, Philippians 2.2. Then make my joy complete, here's pastor's heart, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit, and of one mind. He's talking about joy, unity in our relationships, loving one another. And he says that in order to do this, we need to have a new mindset, a common mindset. And in this mindset, we're going to shift our attention now from, from away from our own needs and onto the needs of others. He goes on to say in verse 3, this is powerful. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Humility focuses on the needs of others before we consider our own. And what does Paul say? He says, first of all, we're not going to do anything from a selfish motive. And the word nothing there hits me pretty heavy. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. All right, we could just pray and go home right there. <laughs> That's a tough one. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Why would he say that? There is nothing like selfishness. That is more selfishness has a way of eroding and destroying our relationships. Do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Instead, envisions this new way of relating to one another where we begin to consider others as more important or more valuable even than ourselves and finally he says don't just look out for your own needs or your own interests 
but look out for the needs and interests of others. So I heard a great story that illustrates this. And it's about a 10-year-old boy named Aaron. And Aaron just happens to be a huge Phillies fan and uh, had a great weekend for the Phillies and uh, just really excited about that. But last year, Aaron was attending a Phillies game with his dad. And uh, during the game, a foul ball flew down the third baseline into the stands where Aaron and his dad were, were sitting. So Aaron jumps up, he races over, he grabs the ball, and he looks at his dad, they give each other high fives, and then he raises the ball in victory because there is no you know, more prized possession for a 10-year-old boy than going home with a game ball. He's so excited, he's pumped. And then he, as he sits down, he looks over and he sees a little seven-year-old girl just a few seats away, and she's crying because she had really wanted to get that ball. And without hesitation, Aaron handed her the ball. Is that what we're talking about today? Humility focuses on the needs of others, even before we consider our own. C.S. Lewis once said, I love this, says humility is not thinking less of yourself, thinking of yourself less. Because there's only one way to experience the joy of love and unity in our relationships. And it's by going low, being humble. Humility connects us to other people in a powerful way. Humility has the power to heal broken relationships. And how do we do that? I need to think of myself less, like 10-year-old Aaron did, so that I see the needs of other people around me. Could be a spouse, could be an aging parent, could be just someone here in our church that needs, needs help. And we value the other person more than ourselves and we go and we serve them and we meet those needs. That's what humility does. Will this be easy? Nope. That's why humility begins with our key word, you, who you are in Christ. Second, our key word is others. Humility focuses on the needs of others before considering our own. And then finally, our key word is Jesus. Humility adopts the mindset of Jesus. Now, uh, Paul here gives us an illustration of what humility looks like. And he shows us that there's no, there's no greater example of humility on this earth than Jesus himself. Jesus became humble. He went low for me and for you. But I also want you to see in this passage that Jesus is not just some model for us to follow, but he's actually a mindset to embrace. In other words, God is transforming our life. He's changing how we think towards others, towards our relationship with other people. He says in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same, what? Mindset as Christ Jesus. I, I like other translations. They'll say, have the same attitude as Jesus. Maybe that's what yours, yours says. But we're talking here about a new attitude or a new mindset, one that we see expressed in the life of Jesus Christ in his 
humility that we're going to begin to live out, as Paul says, in all of our relationships. And what comes next has to be one of the most magnificent descriptions in all of Scripture of the person and nature of Jesus Christ. It could be one of the most important scriptures in all the Bible about who Jesus is. And it tells us what was the attitude or mindset of Jesus. And we see here in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, Jesus was not proud. He was not self-serving. He humbled himself and in the most stunning way served us going all the way to the cross. Let's walk through this. Verse 6. Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But we haven't even gotten yet to Jesus being made in human likeness. So before Jesus even walks on planet Earth, he exists as the eternal Son of God, in the very nature of God, full equality with God. This is who Christ is in eternity. How awesome is that? Maybe I go to, to John, the Gospel of John. And how does John open up? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus and he was with God, and he was God. Thomas beholds the resurrected Christ. He says, my Lord and my God. Jesus is very God, a very God. And yet, how amazing is this? He didn't use that to his own advantage. He could have, he could have said, I am God, so give to me. Yet he laid that all of aside, and he said, no, I will give. He didn't use it to his own advantage. Instead, it says in verse 7, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of a man. And it kind of blows our mind to think about. The God who spoke the universe into existence came, became a human being, just like you and me, was born as a baby in a manger, grew up, wept at a tomb of a friend, bled, suffered, died. This is Jesus. Right? God became a man. Now, does that mean that Jesus stopped being God? Absolutely not. It just means that he took on our humanity. God became man, the God-man, fully God and fully man. But what's amazing is that when God comes to earth, we learn here that he becomes a servant. In fact, Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served. Could he have come to be served? He could have, but he didn't. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And how does he do that? Paul says in verse 8, he humbles himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. And the cross in those days was a, a symbol of horror and shame. This is where criminals went to die. Did you know Paul, he was a Roman citizen? 
right? That he, not even Paul could be hung on a cross because of his citizenship. This was for the lowest of criminals. And yet the Bible teaches that Jesus went all the way to a cross. Right? He bore our shame. He paid the penalty for our sins. He, he bore our sins so that through the blood of Jesus, a holy God might be reconciled with sinful people. It's not about our works or what we need to do. Jesus did it all. He paid it by going to the cross so that by through faith in Jesus, we have a new relationship with God. We're reconciled. Humility restores relationships, first of all, with our relationship with God because Jesus did the exact opposite of selfish ambition. He went low. He humbled himself in order to serve us. And Paul says, in all your relationships, adopt the mindset of Jesus Christ. Not, Jesus did not just save us, which is amazing. He also became our example. He's both. Look what happens next. Verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus didn't stay in that tomb. He's risen from the dead. He is alive. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Right? There's not going to be a single person in this world that doesn't have a moment of recognizing the lordship of Jesus Christ. The whole earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. And it says under the, the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I just got to ask today, if that's who Jesus is, then who am I? Who am I? So I've been sharing this important truth today. And it's the idea that the key to us having oneness and love in our relationships is going to be humility. Just like Jesus, going low. How do we get there? We said it looks like this. Jesus. We're looking to Jesus, adopting the mindset of Christ. He's changing our mind as he changes our life. Others, we focus on the needs of others before considering our own. And then last of all, you. You are not going to try to do this in your own strength. We, our approach begins with you, with who you are in Jesus Christ. And, and I write it this way because someone once explained to me that joy in life is actually an acronym spelled J-O-Y. Next slide. It's Jesus, others, you. That's what Paul's trying to teach us in this passage. That really joy in our relationships is found when we put Jesus first. Rejoice in the Lord. Our joy is in Christ. That's secure. Nothing can take that away. So it's Jesus first, others next. And then finally, we go low just like Jesus. And we put others before ourselves. That's the secret to joy in our life and in our relationships. It's humility and going low. Well, there's no better example of this than Jesus. And I want to invite you to get out your communion elements and be prepared to receive